Father, we thank you for this great gift of your Son to us, the Son of Heaven. May we be blessed by your Spirit this morning as we consider more of what this means in our hearts and our lives, especially during the season when we celebrate his coming. So thank you for all these things. Speak to us, we pray. Amen. You may take your seat. Announcements are great things. They make us aware of what's happening. We've had a lot of announcements this morning in a variety of different ways. We have announcements every week in our church, although I have to admit I know some of you just daydream during our announcements. I know that because you come to me later and say, oh, I didn't know that was happening. And I say, well, we've talked about it for about four weeks in church. Oh, I never heard it. So I just know somehow you daydream through announcements. But announcements are important things, and we recognize some announcements are much more important and come with greater weight than other announcements. Some announcements you never forget. Almost 82 years ago, Franklin Roosevelt came on the radio, and these words are etched in the memories of so many people. He said, yesterday, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. And those words are etched in a lot of people's minds. He said, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Pearl Harbor took place. The United States was brought into the Second World War. Now, none of us here were alive to hear that. Although some of us had parents that were alive. Some of us had parents or grandparents who would have shuddered as that incredible event took place. But I wouldn't be surprised if many of you have heard that, a day that will live in infamy, right? An incredible announcement. How about this one? 22 years ago, September 11th, 2011, it's become known as 9-11. President George Bush said, the pictures of airplanes flying into buildings, fires burning, huge structures collapsing have filled us with disbelief, terrible sadness, and a quiet, unyielding anger. You know, those terror attacks on the World Trade Centers, right, that brought those buildings down. 22 years ago, some of you were not yet alive at that moment. But again, one of those moments, you've probably seen pictures, you've heard that repeated. How about just two months ago, October 7th, Jerusalem. Air raids have sounded this morning at 6.30 a.m. local time, warning citizens of an attack in progress and you are to immediately take cover. An estimated 2,200 rockets have been fired towards southern and central Israel, including Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, by Hamas militants. And we are still living in the outcome of that. You know, that news and the resulting war that has taken place, and there's ramifications of that that is reverberating through the world. Our country is affected by that, and we understand it. Announcements, announcements that come and they penetrate us and we remember them because of their incredible significance. On this second week of Advent, we are considering one of the great announcements that has shaken this world. Although it was given to one person, it wasn't over the radio, it wasn't on television, it wasn't in any media centers, and it was given to one person in a nondescript little town in Israel, its real effects, in a sense, wouldn't be felt primarily for another 30 years, but even beyond that, 
But 2,000 years later, we still are, are living out the effects of this incredible announcement that was given in mankind's history. We read a lot of it earlier before as we were lighting these Advent candles. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 is where we're going to go this morning. If you've got your scriptures with you, turn, turn to them. We're going to just keep walking our way through this this morning. Karen read much of this, but I'm going to read it for us again in case that was kind of an announcement moment for you and you zoned out. <laughs> right? Come back. Let's read these scriptures. Read this announcement that took place. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. May God cause this to reverberate in our hearts today. Like all great announcements, this is a carefully worded one. They're worded so that a lot is packed into a very brief statement. It's almost as if every phrase has some significance, and we're going to walk through those. There's at least seven awesome statements made in this announcement. And we're going to get to those, but let's just walk into it a little bit slowly and appreciate some of the context and what was taking place here. As we come into Luke chapter 1 and these verses, I'm going to take us right back to the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke. When Luke tells why he is writing, he has an explanation that he is writing this orderly account for Theophilus. Theophilus seems to be his, uh, you know, the one that was sponsoring him to accomplish this. And he says to Theophilus, this I'm writing so that you would know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. And for this reason, Luke's gospel is one of the most complete gospels in the story of Jesus. Includes many chronological and geographical details, details of what life was like in Israel and some of the religious contexts. And as he does that, I think there's a sense that he wants to set it in real time and space. And so as we come into Luke 1, 26, he's setting us into history. Theophilus, he's saying, here we are. We're right here, and when this took place, check these things out if you need to. Look how he starts. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That ties us into where we were last Sunday as we talked about Zacharias and Elizabeth and the announcement to them that they were going to be experiencing a child. It was during the time of Herod, king of Judea. 
and Zechariah's time for priestly duty, moments in time that you could go back to and understand right where in history it was taking place. And then we're told that Gabriel comes. Gabriel is sent to Nazareth. Gabriel is an angel that we meet three times in the scriptures. First, we see him in the life of Daniel. He comes to clarify the visions that Daniel is having. Second, we see him when he comes to Zechariah. And now he comes this third time to Nazareth. This key moment in God's moving into human history. Gabriel seems to be that angel that is given those primary responsibilities of announcement. Primary moments in God's redemptive history. And he sends Gabriel on those missions. And this time he is sent to Nazareth. This town in Galilee, northern Israel, about 150 kilometers from Jerusalem. But you know what? There's nothing special about Nazareth. Nazareth was really a nothing town. In fact, Nazareth had really no reputation at all before Jesus was born there. It became known as his hometown. Right? That's why Nazareth was there. Now, it, it had an agricultural commerce, and there was things about it, but it really just was one of those nondescript little villages. And this is where Gabriel is sent to. And then we're introduced to the players. And as we continue on in, that, uh, in those verses, we are told that, Ga- that Gabriel came to a virgin. Isn't it interesting it starts there? We're introduced to this virgin. This is the most important virtue virtue to recognize about this girl that Gabriel is coming to. He comes to a virgin, and it's repeated twice for us. It's as if it's being underlined. In fact, Mary underlines it for us again later in her conversation with Gabriel. How is this going to happen? I am a virgin. Right? Incredibly important to the whole announcement and story is that this is who Gabriel has come to. A virgin pledged to be married to Joseph. And that whole idea of pledging, we we don't have a real good context. The closest we have is engagement. When couples get engaged and they share an engagement ring and there's an announcement that there is a plan for a wedding, that's the closest comes. Being pledged in marriage was really a much more legal contract that was taking place between couples. So as Mary was pledged to be uh, married, Mary, Mary's, yeah, sorry, I got confused. Mary's pledged to be married. Id, put the ED on the end, right? So as she is in this pledge with Joseph, this is already a legally binding contract. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, we're told that Matthew had in mind to divorce her. To get out of this pledge, there had to be a legal act to remove it. But also in this time of pledging, there was no uh, living together at this point. They would still come together and live under the same household. There is a sense of purity about their relationship still. There is no sexual relationship in this pledge. And so as we are introduced here to this virgin named Mary, pledged to be married to Joseph, it just underlines and again and again the, the purity of their relationship. And then we're introduced to Joseph. What's the most important thing about him? He's a descendant of David. Doesn't tell us anything else about him. We've we've grown to know he was a carpenter, he was in Nazareth, he was a righteous man. But in this moment, we are told that he was a descendant of David, and we'll understand that better in a few moments. 
So there's the context. Gabriel was stepping in to give this incredible an announcement. And then the encounter begins. He comes and he says, greetings you who are highly favored. And that too is in the context of what is going to be taking place. Greetings, Mary, you who are highly favored. We need to understand what Gabriel is saying to Mary. It gets repeated again in verse 30 that she's found favor with God. John Piper and I was reading some of his materials on this. In, in one paragraph, he kind of he just said everything I wanted to say about it. So I'm going to read this for you. He says there, the word favored here is used only one other time in the New Testament, in Ephesians 1.6, where it means the free bestowal, bestowal of grace. And that's what we need to catch. The very first thing Gabriel says to Mary is that she is about to receive a free bestowal of God's grace. She does not deserve this honor. It is grace. There are other virgins in Nazareth. God could have prepared them. Grace eliminates all boasting. Parents are prone to boast about their children. How much more if one of your children is the son of God? So Gabriel quenches the spirit of pride before he does anything else. He says, the Lord is with you, Mary, in a way you cannot fathom. But never forget, it is a favor, a free gift of grace towards you. Mary's troubled at those words. You know, she's wondering, what, what kind of greeting is this going to be? And the angel says again, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. God is bestowing his grace upon you. God is going to work through you in mighty ways to accomplish his purposes. And so he is bestowing this grace. It's important to spend a little bit of time just thinking that through because the role of Mary and what she is sometimes ascribed to in religious circles. You know, she's elevated as the mother of Christ and has been elevated in ways way beyond what Gabriel is saying to her here. Mary is the recipient of grace, never the giver of grace. She is the recipient of this gift that God is giving to her. Never does she the giver of gifts. We just need to understand that about Mary. So Gabriel comes to Nazareth, to this virgin who's pledged to Joseph. And he begins this announcement. As I said, I believe there's at least seven awesome statements made in here. Awesome statements are things we need to ponder every once in a while. The series that we're in has been called The Awe of Christmas because our hope as we go through these four weeks of Advent is somehow in our hearts, we're going to be elevated to a place that we just go, wow, like what is, what is going on in here? We need to ponder these things. We're told about Mary that after the shepherds came to her in worship, says that she pondered these things in her heart. She was just trying to figure out over and over again, saying, God, this is, it's overwhelming. And I need to just think about it for a little while. It's moments that, that we have in, in a variety of different ways in life. Creation. Dave mentioned this a little bit last week. I know when I look up into the night sky at times and realize just how small and finite I am in comparison to the, the infinity of God's creation causes me to ponder, causes me to step back for a moment and in awe, just go, who am I, Lord, that you would take any attention to me? 
ponder these things. I've recently been amazed by the incredible mechanisms that make up our nervous system, the working of our brain, just through, um, you know, just a little bit of reading and seeing some things and just considering some health issues of those in our congregation. Just thinking the brain is an amazing thing, and God's in His creative power, how He's put it together. We need to ponder some of these things. And I think that's in this announcement by Gabriel. There's at least seven statements that we need to just ponder because they are awesome. And we need to gather what their full meaning is. So we're just going to walk our way through for a few minutes here this morning. So Gabriel comes and says, Do not be afraid, Mary. Just listen. And in verse 31, he begins this. He says, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. It's the first thing. It's awesome. Gabriel says, I've got a name for your child. You know, you're going to call him Jesus. Jesus is a word that comes out of Hebrew, Yeshua. Ultimately, it means that the Lord is salvation. In Matthew's account of the same thing, he says, you're going to call him Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. Mary, you're going to call him Jesus because he is the Savior. And he's not Savior in the sense of a, a royal or a political leader. He's a Savior that releases you from sin, that separates you from God. His name is his calling in life. That this tiny baby who is being promised to her is going to be the solution to sin. Mary's sin, her family's sin, the sin of Nazareth, the sin of Israel, the sin of our sin even today. He will be called Jesus because he is coming as a savior. And that ache of separation because sin separates us from God. Sin is that which divides us from God's eternal presence. And unless it is dealt with in our life, we are destined for forever being separated from God, destined for hell. But Gabriel comes and says, here is the baby. <laughs> here is the Savior who has been given. Here is your freedom. Here is your peace. Here is your redemption. Mary, he will be called Jesus, not because you've decided not because you have a plan for him, but because God has a plan. God is moving into history. It's an awesome moment to think that there is someone who is Savior. Of course, we understand that's the full story of Jesus coming. It's the full story and understanding of, of what this season is all about. Last Sunday, Dave put it so great that Christmas is nothing without Easter, right? I mean, it's just a baby unless he goes to the cross and he dies and he's given for our sin. And so this announcement starts out by saying he is Jesus. And he goes on and says, and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Two parts there. He will be great. Remember, Gabriel's here in Nazareth a nothing village in the outskirts of Israel. Nathaniel, one of Jesus' disciples, do you remember that when he was called? 
And Philip came to Nathanael and says, Nathanael, we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And what did Nathanael say? He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Messiah can't come from Nazareth. So here's Gabriel in Nazareth saying, and he will be great. And he's talking to a girl from a nothing family, betrothed to a nothing carpenter. But their son will be great. Things are going to happen through this child, Mary. Things are going to take place that he will be recognized and he will be elevated and he will be understood as being like no one else has ever been. There's a wonderful poem that's been written and it's not ascribed to anyone. There's different versions called The Incomparable Christ. Goes like this, more than 2,000 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of life. This man lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. He received no formal education, never possessed wealth or widespread influence. He never traveled extensively. He only once crossed the border of the country in which he lived. But this man's life has changed the course of history. In infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled religious leaders. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, walked across the water, hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine, made no charge for his services. He never wrote a book, and yet his life has inspired more books than any other man. He never wrote a song, yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all songwriters combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students. He never marshaled an army, nor drafted a soldier, nor fired a gun, yet no leader has more rebels surrender to him without a shot fired. He never practiced psychiatry, yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors from far and near. Once a week, the wheels of commerce cease their grinding, and multitudes gather to pay homage and respect unto him. Though time has spread 2,000 years between the people of this generation and his birth, he still lives. His enemies could not destroy him. The grave could not hold him. This man stands forth as the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed of God, acknowledged by angels, adored by his people, and feared by devils as the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Deserves an amen, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a weak one, but you're not in practice for that. He will be great, was the promise and he is great. You know, what Jesus accomplished and what Jesus has done and his influence in all this world, he is still one of the, it depends which you read, I would say the most influential person that there's ever been in history. There's some, though, he's always in the top two or three. <laughs> Even by secular writers. Just step back and ponder that. This baby born in obscurity deserves our time, deserves our searching out. Who is he really? What has he done? What did he say? In fact, I'd even say, how did he define greatness? 
As he said, the greatest who would be among you is going to be the servant of all, which is what he gave his life to be. Gabriel said he will be great. <laughs> Ponder it. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. It's an Old Testament reference to God as the Most High, the true God above all else. Became perhaps a more familiar phrase would be the Almighty. Melchizedek. Remember the story of Abraham, and Abraham went out, and Melchizedek came to him, and they offered uh, the, the, the priest, and they offered, um, Abraham brought sacrifice to him. Melchizedek versus uses this frame as God is the most high. He's the true God. All through the Psalms, this name is used by Israel for God. He is the son of the most high. He is the son of the true God. Some people would say, oh, well, you know, that's a term that gets applied very broadly. In Luke 6, 35, the disciples are told that they will be sons of the Most High. But when you read that context, what you understand, the difference between Jesus being called the Son of the Most High and the disciples, they will be sons of the Most High, but theirs is by association. There, Jesus, as he's speaking to them, is saying that as you imitate the characteristic, he's saying, love your neighbors. As you imitate those characteristics of love by God, that you'll be identified as part of God's family. You'll be known as sons of the Most High, imitating him. You'll have family characteristics. Here, Gabriel is not saying he will be part of the family because of that imitation. He's saying this child will uniquely be the son of God, coming from him, one with him. Three of our seven statements echo this same theme. It gets drilled into us that this is God himself becoming present in this child. That God, the Most High, the Almighty, is taking up residence with us. We have seen His glory. He came to dwell among us. Oh, you have to ponder that. You've got to ponder how Almighty God is able and desired and, and brought Himself down to become identified as one with us. This baby is going to be uniquely identified as one with the Almighty of his very nature. And the Lord God, we go on to read, will give him the throne of his father, David. He is going to fulfill all the prophecies that a son of David is going to rule over Israel. He is the one who has been waited for for centuries. As Gabriel made this announcement, this would be a moment that would reverberate. You know, if it was on a radio, people would hear it and say, now? It's just taking place now? Now, Mary's there alone, and her heart must have just filled up. Is this the one who has been promised for all these centuries? An incredible announcement. He is arriving. He's coming on the scene. The promised king of David's line is about to come into this world. Do you know what it is to anticipate arrivals? 
you ever been to the airport and you're, you're waiting for somebody to arrive? You know, and you get in that crowd and the plane's a little bit late and all they give you is that big board up there and you watch it and you watch it and it's got the arriving time and it's got the arriving time and it isn't arriving and it's gone past the time. And then as you're watching, it flips up that little delayed. Oh, isn't that a sickening feeling? You're hot because you've worn all your winter clothes in, so you have to start stripping off and you're waiting, you know, and it's delayed and it's delayed. And, and there's just, it's just waiting for that. But all of a sudden, it flips and it says, landed. Oh, are there ever more glorious words when you're waiting at the airport, right? It's landed. This is Gabriel coming to Mary and saying, he's landed. <laughs> that God, the throne of his father David, the king, is landing. And he will be this greater king. Isaiah 11.10 says, In that day the root of Jesse shall stand as an ensign to the peoples. Him shall the nations seek, and his dwelling shall be glorious. It's not just the throne of David. The promised king is coming to establish a kingdom around the world. That through Israel, all nations are going to be blessed. And Gabriel goes on and he adds this, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. It is an eternal kingdom that is being established. This news is awesome. It's a kingdom that is secure. It's a kingdom that is forever. It's a kingdom that is ours, that we participate in today because of the promise of Gabriel that day. Borrow a little paraphrase here from John Piper. So he talked about this. He says, do you see what this promise means? It means that Jesus is alive and ruling over his people at 11.04 a.m. Sunday, December 10th, 2023 in James North Baptist Church. Do we believe that? His kingdom never ends. Jesus, Savior, Son of God, King of the world, is governing just as realistically today as Justin Trudeau, as Joe Biden... You know, if Gabriel has spoken the truth, the issue for us today, no matter where we live on the planet, is this. Will you bow before the kingship of Jesus and obey the rule of his kingdom? Oh, ponder that. What an awesome statement. His kingdom will have no end. There's some subtext to this announcement because Mary says, how is this going to... How's this ever going to happen since I'm a virgin? I'm a virgin, how, how will this be? And so the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you because God's Spirit is going to do this work. God is going to move in power upon you, Mary, that the, the seed within you will be, will be by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 7, 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. You will call him Emmanuel. Ponder that. The way God chose to demonstrate the incomprehensible character of Jesus' sonship was through the virgin birth. 
Mary and Joseph had no sexual relations until after Jesus was born. Matthew affirms that very directly in his gospel. So instead of this normal means of conception, the Holy Spirit came upon her and the power of the Most High overshadowed her and the greatest event in history of mankind began the incarnation of God, the appearance of God-man. Jesus is the Son of God, not because he's a descendant of David or because God chose him for a mission or because he is morally pure like God is. Jesus is God's son because he was begotten of God. Not just his role and function and character come from God, but his being is of God. His nature is God's nature. C.S. Lewis said this, When you beget, you beget something of the same kind as yourself. A man begets human babies. A beaver begets little beavers. A bird begets eggs which turn into little birds. By that analogy, then, God begets her fathers. Jesus, he begets God. Colossians 2, Paul says, In him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Awesome that through this virgin birth that God enters into this world in humanity. So, or therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary, are you catching all this? Are we catching all this? Incarnation, God becoming man without sin of two natures. This is not sonship like the sonship all believers have with God. This is a quote from John Piper again. We are born according to the flesh and then reborn by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was not born by the union of a man and a woman, but by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit replacing the seed of a man. And what can this mean except that human nature from Mary and divine nature from the Holy Spirit united in the person of Jesus? Mary contributed humanity, the Holy Spirit contributed divinity, and Jesus, the God-man, was born with a divine nature and a human nature in one person. Ponder that. Ponder that an awesome statement of Christmas. I mean, we don't need decorations. We don't, we don't need lights and everything. That's awesome enough that God and humanity have become one. And the necessity of that is so that he could lay down his life for us. Seven awesome statements to ponder in this season. He is Jesus, the Savior, he has proven to be great. He is the Son of the Most High. He is the King who sits on the eternal throne, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so He is uniquely the Son of God, given to us because God has so loved this world that any who will believe in Him, in His Son, will not perish but have eternal life. Oh, that's our gospel, church. That's our hope. That's our eternity is all wrapped up in this announcement that changes the world. 
as we come to believe in it. This passage finishes with a final assurance. Gabriel finishes off by saying, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. He's saying, look at that miracle, Mary. It's just an affirmation that you can watch that take place to know this is going to take place with you. For no word from God will ever fail. And look at her response. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That's the highest, highest response of discipleship. The highest response we can have to Jesus is, I'm your servant. May your word be fulfilled in me. Let me just conclude again the John Piper quote. So into him a lot this week. <laughs> it's a problem. Some of these guys say things so well that I just don't know how else to say it. <laughs> right? He says, as you look at that response of Mary, the question is this. Do you trust the Spirit enough to say, I am your slave. Take me. Use your omnipotent power to put me where you want me, when you want me there, doing what you want me to do. And do you know why we can trust ourselves to the Holy Spirit? Because He exists to exalt the glory of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if the heartbeat of your life is the glory of Jesus Christ, the Spirit will empower and help you with all His might. Let's live and speak so that men and women, he says Minneapolis, <laughs> Hamilton, and anywhere else would know that Jesus Christ is a great Savior, the Son of the Most High, and the never-ending King of Kings. That's the passion of the Holy Spirit. To be full of that is to be full of Him. Trent, you and the team, come on back up. The call during this season is to ponder, to recognize the awe of Christmas in the midst of all the distractions and all the the fun stuff, all the good stuff that we do to highlight the season, but never lose that sense of wonder at what God has done in giving us Jesus. We're going to come to the Lord's table this morning. The Lord's table where Jesus had his disciples together. And as he broke the bread and as he took the cup, it was a call to them to remember so call to them to take these elements of his body and his blood and remember what he has done for you. And I would call you this morning that as we're going to take up this cup together, that we would ponder for a few moments and we would ask ourselves and examine ourselves as we're commanded to before taking these symbols, that we would open our hearts before him and we would say, am I, O oh Lord, ready to be used by your omnipotent power? where you want me and when you want me. Lord, is there sin that is preventing me from being in a relationship with you of power and freedom? Is there lethargy or broken relationships? So as we sing the song, as the elders are going to come and distribute the elements among you, I just ask that you sing along or perhaps you'd rather just reflectively be in a time of thinking through and pondering before God what it means that you have a Savior that you have the Son of God himself that has given himself for you.
After we sing this song, we'll take the cup together and eat the bread and drink the cup uh, together afterwards. Let's sing together. Elders, if you would come distribute while the song is being sung. Mm-hmm.